Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. And uh, moms, I, I do want you to know we love you. We care for you. I know in the past we've done different things um, giving out different things, obviously due to the circumstances, we're not passing a lot of stuff and handing off a lot of things, but I just want you to know that we love you and honor you and appreciate you. And um, although your favorite restaurant may not be open today, I don't know if it is or not, you may have to get a new favorite restaurant. Might be Mexican. I've seen just about every Mexican restaurant open up. They, they don't care, man. Come get that burrito. Come get those tacos. Every day's Taco Tuesday right now, man. I got and hey, I'm, I grew up. My mom is Spanish. Some of you may not know that. My mom's heritage is is from Mexico, and so man, I grew up on the real stuff. You don't don't people say, oh, you like that Tex-Mex? No, I like the Mex. Get the Tex out of the Mex. I don't want any any Texas anything to do with it. We find the the smaller and uh, you know. Less, more, the, mo, the more obscure the restaurant, the greater the food, man. Uh, that's where I grew up, next, next door to a gas station or a hole in the wall or whatever. And, um, man, my mom might even be watching right now, probably is. I love you, mom. And uh, uh, miss the cooking, miss the tamales, miss the rice and beans. But um, anyways, let's get into this. Genesis chapter 50. Last week, we talked about our patterns, and we talked about how uh, many times in a desire to get back to something, um, we don't fully analyze what we're actually going back to. We don't take a full opportunity to look at what is it that we're desiring to get back to? What is it that we're desiring to run so swiftly back to? Um, I'll tell you what, I was really enjoying driving on the roads without half of you on the roads. I was enjoying the open roads, open freeways, going in and out. There's a little more traffic this past week, and I'm sure that's going to phase back in with all the movement and all the reopening of everything. Uh, But there are some things that we need to further analyze, and we need to look at uh, what is normal. And so last week, we decided to challenge normal. Because if you don't challenge it, if you don't confront it, it won't change. Nothing changes on accident. Nothing good changes on accident. If you want anything uh, beneficial and developmental in your life, it takes intentionality. It takes a, a disruption. You have to get in there. You're not going to phase in certain things. You're going to have to overnight shift your thinking. And so we saw in Romans chapter 12 that Paul was urging and encouraging the brethren, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He said, do not conform to the customs and the patterns and the behaviors of this world. Is he telling you not to conform at all? No, he's telling you not to conform specifically to the patterns of this world, but we are to conform to kingdom thinking to a kingdom mindset. And so how do we do that? Well, God comes in and he shifts us on the inside where you can't change. 
You can't change yourself on the inside. And people have tried to. People have tried to incorporate outside, external uh, 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 things and external measures to change what's on the inside, but only God can change the inside of a man. Are you hearing me? With the turmoil and the, the tragedies that we see happening in our nation, even so close to home that we just learned about this past week, what's the answer? It's Jesus. Jesus has the gospel. Jesus is the gospel of the kingdom that changes a man from the inside out, not from the outside in. And any attempt to change from the outside in is futile and will accomplish nothing. People ask me, well, what are you doing? What are you speaking about the things that we're seeing? It's preaching the word of God that changes the very heart of man that is the root of the problem. Racism has a root. It's called sin. It's called the enemy. It's called rebellion against the way of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is not racist. God's kingdom does not divide. God's kingdom unifies. God's kingdom is grounded and firm in love. That's the only thing it's motivated by. So what am I doing? I'm teaching the church of the living God. I'm teaching men and women to operate by these principles. Do not conform to the patterns of this world that are in direct contrast and direct opposition to what this word says, but align yourself from the inside out. I heard someone say just this past week, it resonated with what we were ministering last week. They said, God changes your heart but you change your habits. So although God can change the most important part of us, it's still up to us to align with the work that the Holy Spirit does within us. And so we saw that last week, that these patterns and these customs and these behaviors, we have to disrupt them, we have to change them. And in such a hurry to get back to something, we can abandon what we should be looking forward to. And so we saw the Israelites in the wilderness. They were desiring even to go back to slavery. They were desiring even to go back to Egypt. They were desiring even to go back to taskmasters that told them what to do. But as long as they got three square meals, as long as they got this and they got that, they only thought about the benefits of Egypt. And so we saw that you know you are enslaved by something when you desire it when you don't have it, but hate it when you do. Come on, we all know things that we become accustomed to or enslaved to or bound to that we, when we don't have it, there's this, this desire and this draw to go back and it wants to suck you in. And then when you're in it, you hate it and you hate what that what, what, what that bondage feels not break those bondages until we challenge what we think is normal. Until we challenge what we think we should be doing. Amen? And so I kind of want to continue in this vein. The title of my message today is Prison with a Purpose. Prison with a Purpose. And in Proverbs chapter 19, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. I'm going to read this to you from the New Living Translation. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21 says, 
you can make many plans. Come on, we got all kinds of plans. We got plans on top of plans. We've got plans to make plans, right? I'm fixing to. That's what we say where I come from. I'm fixing to. What's that mean? I've got many intentions. That's actually what this, how this word plans is, is translated in the old Hebrew. It means devices, intentions, imaginations, and thoughts. So many are the devices, intentions, imaginations, and thoughts of a man. That's how this verse reads. We can all have imaginations for what it's going to look like beyond this situation. We all have plans, plans for this and plans for that. And we need to develop plans. God is a planner. He said in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans. Thank God you weren't an accident. Thank God that he didn't just casually uh, bring you into this world. Thank God that he, you, you didn't just show up and he said, oh man, I didn't have plans for that. It's dangerous to get ahead of the plans. I mean, even for us to reopen and do a lot of the things that we're doing right now, we had to have a plan. We had to devise a plan. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it goes on to say, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Everyone say purpose. The Lord's purpose will prevail. The word purpose here is translated counsel. It's translated advice. It's translated counsel. It's translated advice. So God is not wanting you to live your life without plans. God wants you to have a plan. In fact, God will give you, you ever notice God works backwards? God will show you the end of the thing before you ever even get started. This is the most intimidating thing about living a life by faith is the fact that you have to take yourself from where you are now to where you see God wants you to be. And when you get a vision for God, it's a, a vision from God, it can be a very intimidating thing. It can be a very, uh, uh, this is huge, this is big, this is too much. In fact, if you don't have that response, it's probably not from God. Because God will call a common man to build an ark when we've never heard of rain. God will call a man that can't have children at the age of 75, call him the father of many nations. God will call a shepherd boy to rule the entire nation of Israel. God will call a baby born in a manger, cast out, that was even forgotten and didn't even have room for, that was going to be the savior of the world. God starts at the end and then goes to the beginning. And so God will give you the purpose, the counsel, the advisement, and then he wants us to put those plans in place of how we're going to get there. But what happens is, is the plans that we make compromise us from the purpose that God has. The plans that we make can compromise the purpose that God has. In essence, what are we saying? That my plans always need to be in line with God's purpose. My plans, which are the steps that get me to the conclusion, need to remain in line with the conclusion. 
And what can happen is, as I start to make plans, I start to lean to my own understanding. What does that, word, what does that verse say in Proverbs chapter 3? Trust in the Lord with what? 70% of your heart. Trust in the Lord with 85% of your heart. Trust in the Lord with 99.99999% of your heart. Like Lysol kills 99.99999% of all germs. No, God doesn't want us to have Lysol trust. God wants us to have 100% trust in his plan. And if I'm leaning to any of my own understanding, I have a, I will run a risk of compromising God's purpose for my life. I will run a risk. And so there are things that I have to understand that there's a conclusion that God has. And then he's calling me to follow the steps. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Oh yeah, I know it would be nice if God would give you the purpose and the path, but he doesn't. He'll lead you on the path, but he doesn't show you the whole path. And I'll tell you right now, if you saw the whole path, you probably wouldn't take it. If you saw how God was going to get you to the conclusion, you would forsake the conclusion. You would say, mm, no thanks. See, God doesn't want you to weigh your current situation versus the conclusion. God doesn't ever want you in a position to say, is this better than that? No, the purpose is the only thing that pleases God. The purpose is the only thing. Arriving at the end of what God has called me to do is the only thing that will please him. It's by faith that we please God. Not by our works, not by our intentions, not by our motives, not by how well we can plan it out, not by uh, how much we can succeed along the way but by arriving at the conclusion and the purpose that God has set for us. That's how we live a life wholly pleasing to him. Well, to do that, I have to follow his steps. To do that, I have to follow his plan. To do that, I have to trust him day by day. And so what happens when I am taking steps that seem to take me the opposite direction of the purpose. What happens as I'm taking this path and taking these steps? What do I do when it seems like I'm getting off course? When what seems in the natural like is taking me away from my destiny, not towards my destiny? Well, I'm going to give you the example of Joseph. The example of Joseph. And I want to take you to his conclusion first, because most of us are familiar with the story of Joseph. But I want to take you to his conclusion. I want to take you to the end, and then we're going to work our way back and analyze the steps or the path. And I want you to see some key things today that will help you arrive at your conclusion. Genesis chapter 50, and I want to start with verse 15. Genesis chapter 50 in verse 15. It says, and I'm reading out of the New Living, but now that their father was dead, whose? Joseph and his brothers. Joseph 
was the second to last son born to 12 sons, born of 12 sons to uh, uh, Jacob. And uh, uh, Joseph was favored by his father. Joseph was favored by his father so much so that the other 10 brothers that were ahead of him hated him. Jealous of him. His dad would praise him. His dad would send him to check on his older brothers. His dad gave him a robe of many colors and and just, you know, made him stand out from the rest of his brothers. And so it says here that when Jacob, their father, was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. What did they do? They decided, we're going to get rid of him. They had initially voted to just kill him and have him slaughtered. But Reuben decided to speak up and say, you know what, let's not kill him. But they threw him in a pit and they decided to sell him to slavery, sell him into slavery to Midianites that came along. They said, even better than killing him, we can make money off of him. And then lied to their dad and said that some wild animals had gotten a hold of him and killed him. So this whole time, their father has thought that Joseph was alive. This whole time. 13 years. We're now at a point, 13 years after Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. Well, they sold him into slavery. He ended up uh, becoming a ruler in that man's house. That man was Potiphar. Ended up being in charge over all the things that Potiphar owned. Because he had the favor of God upon his life. You notice, no matter what happens to you, God is always in control of his purpose. God knows how to get favor to you, even when it's not on the plan and the course that you think is going to take you to your destiny. God had favor on his life. He rose to authority. He rose to a position of ruling over all that Potiphar had in his house. And we know that Potiphar's wife laid eyes on him, tried to uh, uh, tempt him to sleep with her. He refused. She lied. Potiphar believed her over him. Now he ends up in prison. He went from a pit to slavery, rose to a position of authority. Now he's in a prison. Meant for murderers and those that uh, uh, are being accused of the highest crimes. Well, he ends up rising to authority even within that position. Even in prison. God still had favor on his life. While he was there, two men come in that were uh, serving in the king's court. They come in with dreams. They come in. And they say, we're just having these crazy dreams. And Joseph says, well, I'll help you with those dreams. God has given me the ability to interpret dreams. He interprets their dream. One of them ends up being executed. One of them ends up being set free. And so Joseph says, when you are set free, 
And when you go back to the king, let him know I've been wrongfully accused. Let them know that I'm in here and I should not be in here and I need to be released. Well, he forgets. Two years later, guess who has a dream? Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh says, I need someone to interpret the dream. Nobody can interpret the dream. All of a sudden, two years later, light bulb goes on. I know a man that can interpret dreams. I was in jail with him. He interpreted my dream, and it came to pass exactly as he said it would. And they said, bring him to us. Bring him to me. Joseph comes out, interprets Pharaoh's dream. Now he is in charge, second in command of Pharaoh alone over the entire nation. Over the entire nation. And so now other nations are having to come to Egypt, having to come to Joseph to get food because of this famine that he interpreted the dream from Pharaoh. His brothers come. They don't even recognize him. I'm just giving you the synopsis here. You with me? I'm just giving you a synopsis. I don't have time to go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm trying to make a point. Joseph's brothers come. They don't recognize him. This is the perfect opportunity that Joseph has to get his revenge. I mean, this is like a, 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 what is that, Count of the Monte Cristo story. I mean, this is the perfect opportunity to like lay in wait. I mean, you can just have your wait with them, man. But instead, he responds favorably. He forgives them. And now that their father is dead, they're in fear. They're in fear of what he might do. Now listen to this. Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. He was just holding out because dad was still alive. But now that dad's gone, he's really going to let us have it. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong. They, dad said to forgive us. Please continue to forgive. Please continue to go easy. Please, Dad said, we know how much you love Dad. Dad said, don't, don't, don't start carrying all this stuff out. Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin is treating you in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. You talk about a man that allowed God to work on his heart. You talk about a man that allowed God to work on the inside of him, regardless of what kind of external situation he ended up in. His internal position was set. I will obey my God. His brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God? That I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it. I said, but God intended it. You had a plan, but God had a purpose. You had a plan, but God had a purpose. Come on, you need to buy into this today. You need to recognize that it doesn't matter what the plan is, God has a purpose, and God's purpose will prevail. God's purpose will succeed. God's purpose will overcome the plans of man. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? God has a plan. 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Look at the perspective that he's speaking with. He says, no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. We get to the end. We get to this last moment. This is the end of Genesis. The next thing we go into is Exodus. And we skip ahead to years where there was a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, to a Pharaoh that had all these Israelites in slavery because all of Israel had to come to Egypt to get food during this famine. And they ended up getting to a point that they wanted the food so bad, they said, we will come work for you and serve you if you will just take care of us. And that's how we end up with the Israelites in bondage, where they, init- where they eventually have a man named Moses deliver them out of bondage. But we come to the conclusion of Joseph's life. How does he have a life with this kind of perspective? How does he have a life where he recognizes that the prison has a purpose? That the things that showed up in my plan and the things that showed up on my path that looked like they should have derailed me and deterred me and taken me away from God's destiny have actually caused me to arrive at the very place, at the very moment. And the perspective that he has, that not only am I here to take care of you, but God has brought all this to come to pass so that I can save an entire nation. Guys, here's the first thing we have to understand about prison, is even though you may be imprisoned, and I'm not talking about stuck in your house, quarantined, on lockdown by your community, and you can't come out except to buy essentials, but only be essential when you need to be essential, and redefining what essential looks like, and all the mess that we've gone through. Anybody else been confused the last 30 days? If you figured it out, please let me know. Please let us all know what this is supposed to look like. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But we have these prison moments in our lives where we feel stuck, where we feel derailed, where we feel like we know where we're supposed to be, but how does where I'm at get me to where I'm supposed to be? And how is God orchestrating? How do I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own? How do I understand that I'm supposed to continue to make plans, but ultimately it's the Lord's purpose that prevails? How, God, how am I supposed to stay, stay in this position? Because the one thing I left out from Joseph's life was the thing that really was the kicker to all this was God showed Joseph in a dream that he was going to rule one day. That he was even going to have his own family come and bow down to him. And he had this ability to interpret these dreams. He had this ability to to. Uh, interpret what God was figuratively showing him. But man, you don't want to tell your 10 older brothers, one day you're going to serve me. You don't want to tell your one older brother, 
one day you're going to serve me. One day I'm going to be more. Anybody with older brothers, let me see anybody with, oh, dare you to go to your older brother and say, man, one day you're going to be working for me. I'm going to be in charge. You're going to do what I'm going to, you're going to do what I'm going to tell you to do. You're going to serve me. Dare you to do it. I mean, half of the fights that my brother and I had was because I had to keep my thumb on them. I had to keep them under control. I had to make sure he didn't get out of line. I had to make sure you're not trying to rule over me. Me and my brother were 14 months apart. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Somebody just, mm. oh, yeah. My mom felt it. My dad felt it. Now, my new son that's on the way, he's got nine years of catching up to do. Because Camden's nine, and Camden shouldn't have any problem exerting any authority over his little brother. That'll be interesting. But you don't want to go to your ten older brothers who, they are already jealous of you because you're favored by dad. And tell them, you're going to bow down to me. In fact, the second dream that he had, mom and dad were included. And even dad laughed and said, we ain't serving you. We ain't bowing down to you. But God had a purpose. The perspective that Joseph keeps, the perspective that Joseph keeps, that to understand that the prison doesn't derail my purpose. The prison doesn't derail what God wants to do. The prison doesn't stop the plan of God. Some of you need to get such an exact Uh, assurance in the purpose of God because you've seen things get derailed. You've seen things go off course. I'm not where I thought I would be five years ago. I'm not with who I thought I would be. I'm not, I don't have the things in my life. I don't have the, 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 all the things I thought I would be adding to. I haven't added, I haven't seen even what God promised me, even what God said I would have in my life. I still haven't seen it come to pass. Thirteen years prior, Joseph saw a dream. Joseph had a vision. Joseph saw the conclusion of what God wanted to do in his life. And now he's having to reconcile all these steps in this path that I'm on. And how in the world is this going to get me to the conclusion? I want to give you three things today that Joseph did to keep is purpose in perspective. Three things that Joseph did to keep his perspective, or to keep his purpose in perspective. It's all about perspective. It's not about what you go through. It's about how you go through it. Here's the thing you have to understand about prison. Here's the thing you have to understand about bondage. Even though some freedoms may be taken away, they can't take away everything. And prison is all about decisions. Prison is all about decisions. And so I'm going to give you today three things that you can always decide to do that nobody can take away from you. 
Now, if you focus on what you can't do, then you'll miss what you can do. It's all about perspective. But if I fix my focus on what has been taken away, then I won't be able to see what I still have access to. I won't be able to see what I still have at my disposal. I won't be able to see what I still have in my control. Slavery is a scary thing. Bondage is a scary thing because things are being stripped away from you. But there are still some things they cannot take away from you. And there are some things in Joseph's life that he realized I can still choose. I may be in prison. I may be in slavery. I may be in bondage. I may have liberties taken away. I may have limited access to certain things, but I still have access to the most important thing. That's my decision making. That's my ability to choose. Number one, Joseph chose to obey God. Joseph chose to obey God. In Genesis chapter 39 and verse 9, this is the instance where Joseph is in the house of Potiphar. And he's even been placed in a position of authority. Not the position that God had promised. He's not where God had assured him and shown him, this is what I'm going to do with your life. And in verse 9 of Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife approaches him to try to tempt him. And he says this, no one here has more authority than I do. Notice that even in slavery, he reflects on what he can do. Not on what he can't do. It's all about perspective. He has held back nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. No matter what condition or position we end up in, we always have the choice to obey God. You always can choose not to rebel, not to go against the king's word, to honor what he has said. And Joseph recognized that my obedience and my submission to God is key to me fulfilling the plan of God. He recognized that if I get out of submission and if I get out of God's uh, uh, authority, then I'm going to lose my position with him. And I will not be able to see the plan of God unfold. Guys, it doesn't matter what happens against us. It doesn't matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter what happens to us. Nobody can force you into sin. Nobody can force you into disobedience. That is a position you always have the right and the responsibility to uphold. He chose not to sin. He said, I'm on a path that looks a little different than what I thought it was going to be. This would have been an opportunity for him to say, God? What God? Honor him and his word to me? 
You mean the word that said that people would bow down and worship me? That I would be in charge? That I would be a ruler? I'm nowhere. See, many of us, we limit our obedience to God's word to the mercy of if we see it all going right. Oh, yeah, we want to be in obedience to God's word when we see it performing in our life. Oh, I, you know, I want, to, I want to tithe because he's blessing me financially. Well, you tithe when you're not, when you don't see it in the natural. You continue the act out of obedience. You, we're not obeying God to get his blessing. We're not obeying God to get anything from him. But we recognize that my obedience puts me in position to receive blessing from him. So the last thing I want to do if I'm not seeing things exactly go right is further remove myself from God's plan and God's purpose by deciding to dishonor his word altogether. The last thing I want to do is take this book or take his commands or take his instructions and throw them out the window. Well, so much for God's word. It's not being produced in my life. No, his word will not return void. His word, he is faithful to perform that which he promised. You have to remain in alliance and submission with his authority. And he refused to remove himself from God's authority. This could have been a moment that he could have given himself to his flesh, given himself to his desires, given himself to what he wanted, given himself to say, well, man, I'm already a slave. There's no way I can become what, what I mean, the, 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 the dream, the vision. It's nowhere in sight right now. This would have been the opportunity to walk away from God's word. But to recognize my God's up to something. That I'm going to see this moment and see this step. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know who he's going to use. But somehow, some way, his purpose and his plan is out there. And if I remove myself from his alignment, if I remove myself from his authority, I will compromise his purpose. If I remove myself from remaining in submission to him, I will compromise his plan being able to operate in my life. He chose to remain in obedience. He chose to remain submitted to God. Number two. Number two. Joseph chose to believe in his ability to dream. Joseph chose to believe in his ability to dream. Now this is key because it was a dream that got Joseph in this mess in the first place. If he had just kept his mouth shut. I wonder how many times he had that thought come into his mind when he was laying, when he was sitting at the bottom of that pit. I wonder how many times he had that come into his head. Well, if I would have just kept my mouth shut, if I would have just kept the dream to myself, and, 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 and somewhat for the dream. The dream's the whole reason why I'm where I'm at today. He could have easily have given up on the very thing that God wanted to use to get him to his purpose. He could have easily 
have given up on the very thing that God wanted to use in his life to achieve the purpose that he had. Remember, it was a dream told by or, or, or interpreted to Pharaoh that got him second command of all the nation. But Joseph had to believe in his ability to interpret dreams. In Genesis chapter 45, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 40, Genesis chapter 40, verse 5. Genesis chapter 40, beginning with verse 5. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. And when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Now you're in prison. I'm sure everybody looks upset. I mean, is that any different than anybody else back there that looks happy and excited and joyful? This is exactly where I wanted to be. This is the perfect opportunity. I have been believing to be imprisoned in this place all my life, and here it is. I've been dreaming of this as a child. But yet there was something about these two men. See, these are the moments we have to look for. What if he wouldn't have noticed that? What if he wouldn't have seen that? What if he, there was a different type of upset that they had on that day that Joseph specifically was keen to? Why do you look so worried today? And they replied, we both had dreams last night. And right there, it goes off. I knew I noticed that kind of worry. The kind of worry where you've seen something, but you don't know what it means. Why did he recognize that? In the middle of a place where everybody would look worried and everybody would look upset, he recognized that because there was something on the inside of him that God had birthed and God had placed there and had given him the ability to see beyond what was just on the outside. Yeah, everybody looks worried. Yeah, everybody looks upset. Yeah, everybody has a downtrodden face. But there's a look on your face that you've seen something that you need an understanding to, and God has given me. See, when you are the solution to a problem, then you don't see problems like everybody else sees problems. You don't see situations like everybody else sees situations, but you have to remain in tune with that. You may not be on the path. You may not be taking all the steps you thought you were supposed to take. You may not be seeing everything unfold exactly how you thought it was going to, but you are going to have to rely on some things that God has put in you, specifically in you. We had dreams last night. No one can tell us what they mean. Joseph responds, interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now the second, the second side of this is that Joseph could have easily, what on the inside of Joseph gave him the confidence that he could interpret dreams. Think about this now. So do you have experience interpreting dreams? Yeah. When I was 17, I had a dream that my brothers and my parents, that they were bowing down and worshiping me. 
Okay, is there more to it? No, that's it. I interpreted the dream. But you're in prison. Wouldn't it be really easy to doubt your ability? Well, maybe I'm not so much of an interpreter as I thought I was. It'd be really easy to doubt what was the assurance that he had. What was the confidence in him that said, I can interpret? There was something on the inside of Joseph that says, this story is not done. This story is not over. And I know what my God showed me. And it may look stupid to you. And it may not make any sense to you. And it may not look like I'm where God said I'm going to be. But it's not up to your uh, persuasion and up to you uh, to, to decide and agree with it. I know what my God spoke to me. And you have to keep your ability to believe in the very thing that God told you you would be even though it might not look like it. So he interprets their dreams. And yes, they come to pass exactly as he interpreted. In three days, one was executed. In three days, one was set free and put right back in his royal position. And once again, when he gets before Pharaoh, He has to believe in the ability to interpret dreams once again. Can you still believe in the thing that God promised you even though though it seems that your path has taken you a different direction? I'll tell you right now, if Joseph lost the ability to dream, and lost the ability to believe in the gift that God had given him, he would have looked at those two men and said, yeah, I had a dream once. I thought I knew what it meant. Apparently, I'm not very good at it. If you find someone that knows how to interpret dreams, let them know. I'd like to know what mine really mean. Think about the attitude he could have had. Think about the response. Think about how easy it would have been to give up on the very thing that seemed to get him in trouble. I had a dream once. That's why I'm in here today. It'd be very easy to become squeamish and not want to put that gift back out there when you know what it cost you last time you spoke up about dreams. Some of you are afraid to put yourself back out there and put yourself in a position where God has to move. Otherwise, you look like an idiot and you have to step out in faith, believing that God is still using you the way he said that he would. And God will still do what he said. And it may have taken a complete 180 opposite direction. You're not even close to where you thought you would be. But God is up to something. God will fulfill his purpose. God will bring an answer. God will see to it that he performs the promise in your life. The third thing, Joseph chose to obey God. Joseph chose to believe in the ability that God had given him. And number three, Joseph chose not to become bitter. 
not to become bitter. This is a big one. See, a lot of times, God wants to know, can you maintain what you will obtain? Can I put you in a position of authority? And will you have the proper perspective? Can I bless you? And you will keep the proper perspective that you won't go after people that hurt you along the way. See, the path, what you have to recognize is the path is not about you. The path is always about how God wants to use you to affect someone else. But if you will turn around and take God's purpose as an opportunity to inflict pain on all those that questioned you, doubted you, and came after you along the way, then you are not quite ready to receive the promise of God. And so was it enough for Joseph to merely obtain the promise of God? No, he needed to maintain it with the right heart and the right attitude, even to those that sold him out. In Genesis chapter 45, we see the first encounter that Joseph has with his brothers when he reveals who he is. And in verse 1, Genesis 45 and verse 1, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you, not you, you can stay. I was just reading the, the verse. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to the Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Look at these words. This is the moment. How, how many times do you think he had ideas running through his mind of, oh, if I ever see them again, if I ever get before them again, if I ever have a chance to confront them, if I ever have a chance to respond to them, if I ever have a chance to execute something on them, if I ever have a chance to show them. He says, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. He said, although you have committed something against me, God is using it so that I can save you. Can you do that? That the people that are hurting you, the people that come against you, the people that challenge you, the people that accuse you, can you see their hurt and their pain so much that maybe God wants to use you to set them free? Could God use you to set them free? Could God use you to deliver them from their bondage? Could God use you to speak life into them? Or would you obstruct 
their path. He says, this famine that has ravaged the land for two years, it will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God has sent me ahead of you. Listen to the words he uses. He never once challenges them selling him. Never once challenges their hatred toward them. A complete perspective. God has sent me ahead of you to save you. It's incredible. What if he chooses to become bitter? What if he chooses to get offended? What if he chooses? See, in prison, there might be some things that they take away from you. But he's showing them there's some things you never had access to. You didn't have my access to my stance and my position with God. That's between me and him, and I'll remain faithful and upright before him. You don't have access to the gifts and the abilities that God has played has placed on my life, and you can doubt them, challenge them, question them, accuse them, come against them. But when God has put a gift on my life, only he can take a gift off. Nobody has access to the gifts and the abilities that God has put within you. Nobody. Well, nobody recognized me. Nobody saw me. Nobody noticed me. Nobody wants me. Nobody needs me. Nobody, nope. Your gift and your ability that God has placed on your life is never at the mercy of anybody else. Gifts and callings of God are without repentance. The only one that can disqualify you from a gift or an ability is you. Nobody has that power. Nobody has the power to cause you to come out of alignment. Nobody has the power to cause you to come out of your ability. And now we see that nobody has the power. In essence, what is he saying? You can do stuff to me, but I'm in control of how I respond to you. Offense, bitterness, Rage, anger, hate, those are all responses you have full control over. Those are all responses only you have access to. Those are all inward responses that only you have the power to wield. Nobody makes you angry. Nobody makes you offended. I heard someone say just this past week, offense is an event, but offended is a decision. Worship team, if you come. The offense, the act committed, an event. You can put it on the calendar. You can mark the time and day. But offended, that's a decision. Offense is what happens to me. Offended is how I respond to what happened to me. Are you hearing me today? God's got a purpose. God's got a plan. Even with the 
prisons of our lives. And we all have them. We all have moments where freedom is limited, access is taken away, and not at your request, not at your desire. Yeah, I wanted to give that up. Yeah, I want. Some of you have had to let go of people you didn't want to let go of. Some of you have lost things that you didn't want to lose. What is God trying to show you in the prison? What is God trying to remind you of? What is God trying to help you understand that even though these things may be swirling around you, you are in full control of how you respond to it? I don't know who it's for today. But I want you to know that the goal is not to just simply come out on the other side. The goal is to come out on the other side with the right perspective. The goal is to come out on the other side with the right understanding of how God is using and working in every situation, every detail, every point of our lives. We all know what Romans 8 says. For all things work together for the good of those who love him. And then it goes on to say, for those who are called according to his purpose. You may not like the ingredients, but when they're all put together, they formulate and they create the very thing that God wanted you to be in the whole time. What was happening in the pit? What was happening in prison? Joseph was being developed. Joseph was being worked on. I know you want God to work on the 10 brothers that sold you into slavery. I know that we pray night and day that God will have his vengeance on them. But we all should take a a lesson Joseph that I can't control what happens to them but I can control what happens in me what happens in you the development in the pit the development in the prison created the man that we needed to stand in that palace and free a people, deliver a people. And if you put it in the big picture, it's what ultimately set them up. Say, why did they have to go to Egypt? Why couldn't God just send them to the promised land and detour Egypt? Because Egypt ended up becoming a prison for all bondage. But you know what they 430 years. They were in slavery and in bondage. But you know what they came out of Egypt with? All their stuff. You know what they came out with? Opportunities where God showed himself faithful time and time again. If I don't have Egypt, I don't have a Red Sea. I don't have a wilderness. I don't have water coming out of a rock. 
I don't have manna on the ground when I wake up. Because when I get to the promised land, I'm going to need to know that my God's faithful. I'm going to need to know that my God can perform. I need, when I get to the point where I've got to walk around some walls and I believe that they're going to come down if I just shout, I'm going to need to reflect on the Red Sea. I'm going to need to reflect on the water coming out of rocks. I'm going to need to reflect on all the battles that he fought for me. Come on. There's something that God is trying to show you, prove to you, revealing you, and developing you. So when you get to the promised land, you don't back down. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.